Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, July the 1st. I almost said June the 1st. I do not know why, but good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, July the 1st. 2023. It is currently 8.42 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, as many of you know, Monday morning around 4 or 5 a.m., I'll be driving to the airport, parking a car, going inside the airport, going through the security checks, getting on an airplane, and flying to Boston, where I'll hang out in Boston some, and then spend two days in Salem, because I absolutely love going to Salem. And so I am greatly concerned that since I'm going to be gone basically four days, four and a half days, almost five days, that, oh no, I won't be doing any live broadcasts. So I've got to make sure I leave people with things that are interesting, fascinating, benefit, beneficial, so they won't forget the Theology Central podcast. Like, you know, you give them four or five days with something else, and they'll say, like, I'm never going back to Theology Central. So I got to make sure I, I give them some good content. I'm, I know I'm far more worried about it than you are, and I'm far more concerned about it than anybody else is, and it's probably not reasonable or even rational to even be concerned. I mean, it's not like I make money from this podcast. It's not like I'm getting paid, right? So, you know, I could just go do whatever I want to do, but I do take this seriously, and I do believe I have a responsibility to do my best with the limited abilities that I may have, with the limited resources that I may have, to try to benefit and help people and challenge people as much as I can spiritually. So I've been trying to do, you know, extra broadcast. Hopefully you've noticed that. Hopefully that will mean something to someone. Who knows what it will actually mean? But I've been here in the studio. We did a live broadcast a little while ago talking about, you know, Christians and controversy and how should we engage controversy or stay away from it. And I think I did pretty good. I, I kind of messed up in a little bit of reading uh, from the article I was reading from. Uh, you know, I, I probably could have done a little better job there, um, but that's okay. Um, I think overall it was, it was pretty decent. I think I offered some, some, some decent points. And, but then I was like, what do I do next? What should I do this evening? I know I need to focus on Jeremiah for church tomorrow, but I feel I'm halfway there. I think I'm, I'm pretty good there. Jeremiah seven for Sunday school, Jeremiah eight for Sunday morning, Jeremiah nine for Sunday night. I, and there's no way we're going to probably finish three chapters in those three hours, but okay. I, I've got a goal. I've got an idea. I know where I'm going. But in the meantime, for tonight, what can I do? What can I do? Well, I thought, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just looking around. I'm looking at articles. I'm, I'm checking this. I'm going through all of my notes where I save articles and email questions. And I'm just like, where do I go? And I look over to my right. I look over to my right. I, had to, I, I got to pick it up. I look over to my right, still in its wrapper, still in its wrapper, right? Hear it? It's still, it's still wrapped up, right? So I'm going to open this up. I'm going to open it up. This is a package that came to me from Grace Evangelical Society in Denton, Texas. Grace Evangelical Society. It's their magazine known as Grace in 
focus. It's the July-August 2023 issue of the Grace and Focus magazine. Now, if you go to faithalone.org, faithalone.org, you can sign up to have a physical magazine. I know that I know it's, it's dating me. A physical magazine literally delivered to your house. I know you may not know what to do with it. People may you, you may bring it in and kids may go, "What is that?" Go, "It's a it's a magazine that has words in it. Why isn't it not on your phone? How come it's not on your iPad?" Because back in the olden days, they put thing in physical. Okay, maybe, maybe that's a little hyperbole, but you get the idea. And and it's sent to you, and it's absolutely free. A ministry sending you things for free. Isn't that crazy? Right? That's awesome. So, the Grace and Focus magazine, right? I've had it. I just haven't opened it yet. It's been sitting here waiting for me. So I'm like, okay. So what do I do? What do I do tonight? So I, I well, I just I opened it up. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to just open this up. And what we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're just going to go with the very first article that appears in the magazine. What a great idea. Let's go into this. Now, obviously, I know what's in it because I've had other people email me about it. So I know that there's an article in here dealing with a specific psalm and most of the, uh, the emails I'd gotten about it. Um, and one of the reasons I knew that I could do this and have some idea was uh, that there, there's a, a about a certain structure utilized in, in the psalm. And I hadn't really had a chance to answer any emails about it, but I knew, okay, I, I can open this up and just do so. But it'll be do so. Going into it blind will be somewhat helpful, somewhat beneficial. I mean, not completely blind, but somewhat blind. So here we go. Grace and focus. All right. The first thing is letter from the editor. We won't count that. Page four. Now go to page four. Now most of the pages are white. This page is black background, completely black background. The type is white. And it's a, it's a, a the, the heading is Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Okay, so we're going to look at Psalm 90. All right, now that, that's, that's already fascinating enough. And then there's an hourglass. Psalm 90 an hourglass. Ooh, okay. Now that that gives the idea hourglass time. Time is passing. You you know, I don't know if you have an hourglass, but you can just take it and you got the sand, right? And it just as the sand through the hourglass. What what was that day of our life? Day of our lives. Was it called day of our lives? What was that uh it was a soap opera. What was it called? Day of our lives. Days of our lives. Days of our lives. That's what it was called, right? The hour through the sand glass. You know what I'm talking? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The only reason I know that soap opera is there was a person, there was a character in that show named Hope. And my sister was named Hope partially because of that character on that soap opera. Do you really care? Probably don't. All right. So, but, you know, an hourglass is cool because you see the time through that sand coming through the hourglass. You see it passing. Okay. And of course, the title. So the, the very top is Psalm ninety, and then at the, at the uh, underneath that, in big bold type, it's about time. It's about time. Now I could approach this by going, okay, they want to approach Psalm ninety, maybe talking about time, but I know that there's some things in here, something about the structure 
of of the psalm. So where do I really want to go? Well, let's let's look here. Here we go. It's about time. And then here's how it begins. A man went in for his annual checkup and received a call from his doctor a few days later. The doctor said, I'm afraid I have bad news for you. What's the news? The man asked. Well, you have only 48 hours to live. That is bad news, said the shocked patient. I'm afraid there's even worse news, the doctor continued. What could be worse than what you've already told me, the man stammered. Well, I've been trying to call you since yesterday. Okay, that's, that would be horrible. That would be really bad. That's not news any of us would want to hear, but we do ourselves a disservice if we don't remember that our time here is limited. Let's, let's just stop right here. All right. I know that there's something in this article dealing with the structure of the psalm. And, I, and I'm probably going to divert us more to that and at least just kind of present it. I don't know if I have any good answers yet, right? Because I'm going into this somewhat blind, which makes this fun and exciting. But this is very convicting. But I would ask us an important question. Like if you just want to write this question down, what are the negative consequences if we don't remind ourselves or remember on a consistent basis that our time is limited? What are the negative consequences of not remembering that our time is limited? What are the negative consequences of not remembering on a pretty consistent basis that your days are numbered? Your time on this earth is limited. What are the negative consequences of not remembering? What are the positive consequences of remembering that your days are limited? What are the negative consequences of not remembering? What are the positive consequences of remembering? Oh, but here's a good one. What are the negative consequences of remembering that your days are limited? And are there any positive consequences that come from not remembering? So I guess we could do this way. What are the negative consequences of not remembering on a regular basis that, hey, your days on this earth are limited? And is there any positive consequences that flow from not remembering it? Is it is there a positive where you're not just constantly thinking about, man, my days are numbered? But, are, but what's the what are the positives for not remembering and what is the positives for not uh, for the positives for remembering and the positives for not remembering? What are the negatives for remembering and not remembering? Just I want you to really just kind of think about that. And how often do you remind yourself that, hey, your days are numbered, your days are numbered, your days are limited. Now, in some ways, I think there's some positive by not reminding yourself of that, right? If, if you're constantly remembering that your days are numbered, that your days are limited, I, 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 think there's, I think there's some positive for not remembering. And the positives are, isn't it easier just to go through your, you know, go to your job and do those normal things you have to do? Like if you're constantly reminding yourself, hey, your days are numbered, I, I, I think there can be a negative aspect to that, right? The positive that would flow from it would be like, well, Hey, 
you know, I can just go do my job. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to be dead in five years or dead in 10 years or could be dead in 24 hours. I like, like there's a positive in not thinking about it, right? I think there's a positive in not thinking about it. Does that make sense? Like there's a positive in not constantly reminding yourself, hey, you could be dead in five years. Hey, you could be dead in 10 years. Because I think the negative that flows from that is you could be you could be tempted to go, well, then forget it. I'm quitting my job. I don't care about any of my responsibilities. I could be dead in 48 hours. Who cares about doing the things I need to do? I want to live my life. Right. I mean, if you if, if there's a negative that could flow from, well, if I could be dead in three days, then who really cares about Doing this, I'm going to do whatever I want. I could be dead. But then there's, but see, but there's a positive of not thinking about it because then you're just like, well, yeah, I'm going to take care of my responsibilities and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Uh, all right. Someone said forgetting uh, can lead to, uh, can lead to wasted time. That's true. That's a good point. There could be a negative. If you don't, if you kind of forget that your time is limited, then you could just be wasting your time because you're not really worried about time, right? Hey, I've got, I've got 40 years to go. You're, you're not even worried about it. Well, you could be wasting that time. That's a good point. Not remembering can lessen worry. That's true. If you're not really worried about it, then you lessen worry. You see, there's pros and cons to this. There's, there's, there's benefits. Now, the article just simply says, let me go back to the article. Um, if we don't remember that our time here is limited, uh, let's see, but we do ourselves a disservice if we don't remember that our time here is limited. We all have a limited number of days to live. One of the wisest things we can do is to live in light of that reality. They're saying the wisest thing you can do is live in light of that reality. I just think that there's, that if we really think about it, there's negative things about living in light of that reality, but there are positives. I think there's positives in living in light of it, and I think there's positives in forgetting it. I, I think there's positives and negatives to both. That's that's what I'm trying to say. And again, I'm just I'm I'm entering into this kind of blind. I don't know where exactly they're going. Clearly, they believe Psalm 90 is a psalm that will help us live in light of the reality that you and I have a limited amount of time. And they're going to present it all as a positive. I just think that there are some negatives to it. I just know that I used to, it used to try, I think I'm, I think I've always been like, if, if I was to look at my life, that most of the time I have been painfully aware and live in light of my limited time. I think that that has been the driving force in my life. And mainly because of watching, you know, my mother dying when I was young had a, had a profound impact on me. Right. I mean, my mom didn't even make it to 40. I mean, she was gone. Well, then I remember going, man, you know, there's no certainty in life. There's no guarantee. People can be here and they can be gone. So then I, you know, it started having a, a very much like, you know, well, then I, you know, for example, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but part of me, that's why I, lo I loathe sleep. I hate sleep. I loathe it. I hate it. And the reason why is. What am I accomplishing? Like, you know, I'm going to be dead one day when I'm laying in the hospital and the nurse comes in and going, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just living with so much regret. Well, what do you regret? That I didn't sleep a couple of more hours, that I didn't sleep, that I didn't take more naps, that I didn't sleep eight hours a day. I mean, come on. I mean, nobody does that. 
You're going to regret the things you didn't do. You're going to regret the things you missed, right? So I, that it makes me, living in light of that makes me hate sleep, which you could argue could at times have a negative profile, uh, impact on my life because you need supposedly, medically you're speaking, you supposedly need certain kinds of, a, a certain level of sleep to be healthy. Okay, whatever, but you get the point. It's, but in some ways, I think it's had a negative uh, impact on me living with that because every day when I would get in my car to drive to work when I was in the military, it'd be like, oh my goodness, here comes another eight, nine hours of my life, 10 hours or 12 hours of I was working, 12 hour shifts, just gone, just gone, just gone, just gone. And you say, well, your job was important. You were in the United States military. You were defending the Constitution of the United States. You were defending this. Co- I was going to work and it was 12 hours that are go- that, that came and went and gone. And I'm never going to get those 12 hours back. I was painfully aware of that. I've talked about the times of watching people, you know, go uh, at a retirement ceremony in the in the military, watching their retirement ceremony, and especially if the retirement ceremony happened in the hospital where I work, then I would always, as soon as I could, run up to the third floor where I could watch the entrance way and the exit way of the the main entrance and main exit of the hospital because the person retiring, I would watch them walk out. Twenty years of their life. They would walk out and you could almost see them kind of stop and pause and look back at the hospital and then walk away. And I always want, I wonder what they're thinking. 20 years gone. What they're not, and you know what would, was so shocking? They spent 20, maybe 10 years in that hospital, 15. Some people spent their whole career there. And then guess what? They leave literally within an hour, within 24 hours. Their office belongs to someone else. Nobody remembers them. Oh, you may, people may say one or two more things that day. Maybe the next day they'll say something. Within two or three days, that person is forgotten as if they never even existed. So all of that is wasted. So see, it gave me sometimes a negative feeling. So there's a pro and a con here about, hey, it's time. How, do, how does it impact you? How does it impact you? Okay, again, this is not where I really wanted to go with this, but, I, but I, it, is, it is important. All right, and they, they say this. Then they have a, another heading here. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Psalm 90, the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms, is the only psalm attributed to Moses. He wrote it sometime during the 40 years that Israel wandered in the Sinai Desert as a result of God's judgment on its disobedience. They have somewhere, they have the dating between 1440 and 1400 BC. We know there's always kind of arguments about that, but okay. Two to three million people had left Egypt and a whole generation died as they made that trek. There would have been constant deaths. You could have tracked their journey by the graves left behind. In the midst of this, Moses reflected on realities that are as true today as they were then. Recall the last time you went to a funeral. Do you remember how the incidental stuff of life faded away as you focused on what's actually important? I think sometimes funerals do remind us of what's important. But again, I think there's pros and cons to that, right? I think there's pros and cons. 
The pro is okay. Okay. I'm going to do this, but the con can be all those daily routine, those things. You may start saying, you know what? I don't want to do any of this. Why am I wasting my time doing this? I don't know if I'm going to be alive two, two weeks from now. The negative is you, you're going to be like, you know what? I, this may be a funeral, but I've got another 40, 50 years. I'm good. Then you may waste a lot of that time because you don't take it serious. It's finding that. Ba- I think we need a more balanced approach to it personally, but okay. Now, here is the paragraph where it appears those who have looked at the magazine wanted me, wanted me to focus. Now, I didn't think about this until I saw the magazine, until I opened it, and then all of a sudden I remembered, yeah, I've got some questions about this. All right, here we go. In Psalm 90, Moses tells us what's important. He arranges the psalm in an inverted parallelism. Whoa, stop right there. Stop right there. I want you to write down the phrase inverted parallelism. Do you know what inverted parallelism is? Could you identify it when you read the Bible? Can you identify inverted parallelism when you read the Bible? When you read the Bible, you're like, that's inverted parallelism. That's parallelism. Can you? Now, if you can't, does that have a profound impact on how you interpret it? What are the benefits? Well, now we're back to the benefits. What are the pros and cons of identifying inverted parallelism? What is it? Well, let's do a little bit of work. An inverted parallelism. Now, first, there's a word that maybe you, you've seen, maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not. Are you familiar with this word? Chiasmus. 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 Are you familiar with that word? Chiasmus. Chiasmus. Now, I have to really write it out like it sounds. Chiasmus. Because if I look the way it's spelled, I probably would never get it right. Chiasmus. It is spelled C-H-I-A-S-M-U-S. Chiasmus. It's spelled C-H-I-A-S-M-U-S. Chiasmus. Now you say, what does that have to do with inverted parallelism? Well, there's there's a similarity here. Here, chiasmus is a rhetorical or literary figure in which words, grammatical constructions, or concepts are repeated in reverse order. A chiasmus. Hear that again. It's a rhetorical or literary figure in which words, grammatical constructions, or concepts are repeated in reverse order. In the same or modified form. Right? A chiasmus. Are you familiar with a chiasmus? All right. Inverted. Now, this is sometimes, uh, now, sometimes we, we, you made a chiasmus. It's the basic idea. It's basically the same thing as a, a inverted parallelism. The, the article uses inverted parallelism, but a chiasmus is what you're, you're thinking about, right? Okay. So, um, look at this. Chiasmus and inverted parallelism. An inverted parallelism, a presentation of a series of words or thoughts followed by a second presentation of a series of words or thoughts, but in reverse order. 
chiasmus and inverted parallelism. An inverted parallelism, a presentation of a series of words or thoughts followed by a second presentation of a series of words or thoughts, but in reverse order. Here are five examples of a chiasmus, all right? Here are chiasmus examples in speeches. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. John F. Kennedy. We shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. Winston Churchill. We were elected to change Washington and we let Washington change us. John McCain. All right. Now, these are all, you can just find all of this by just looking up inverted parallelism. That's all I did. I just typed in inverted parallelism. And right there, you get the definition. Chiasmus um, is, is the same thing, right? So when I see inverted parallelism, I know chiasmus. I got sent, someone sent me to the church, this little booklet. I don't know what their their doctrine they were trying to get across, but it basically was a book of all the the different inverted parallelism and chiasmus used in scripture. And it was, and like trying to just follow it, all of it, it can be sometimes convoluted. Now, I, th- I think for some people, they learn a little bit about inverted parallelism, a chiasmus, and they're like, yeah. And then they go through the Bible, like that's inverted parallelism. Oh, that's a chiasmus. See, see, and therefore it means, and then they'll draw some great interpretation from it. And you're like, uh, just because it's got inverted parallelism, just because it's a chiasmus, I think we got to be careful and how much we do with that or what we, you know, try to make it say something maybe it's not saying. It's just a structure. Now, the stru- you would argue the structure is used for what, well, I mean, if we were to, if I was in a hermeneutics class and I was asking the class, what would be the purpose of using a chiasmus or inverted parallelism? Typically, I think you would say to draw emphasis, right? Look at this. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate, right? It's emphasizing this idea about fear and, and like, you know, hey, let's not, let's never fear, let's never negotiate out of fear, but let's never fear to negotiate. Like how, you know, wouldn't that be the kind of the emphasis? We shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. Or could you say that inverted parallelism, at least in these speeches, or a chiasmus is being used to try to find balance here? Hey, let's never negotiate out of fear, but let's never fear to negotiate. Like a balanced view on fear? Hey, we shape our buildings, but let's, but then afterwards our buildings shape us. It, should we be careful about that? We were elected to change Washington, and we let Washington change us. Is the point here to show... Maybe to emphasize, to show contrast, to show balance. Like, like you got to figure out why it's being used. I think that's probably the most important thing. Now, according to this article, Psalm 90 is arranged in an inverted parallelism. At the, stru- at the structure's center... And when he says he, he's referring to Moses. So in Psalm 90, Moses tells us what's important. He arranges the psalm in an inverted parallelism. At the structure center, he sets forth what is vital for us to do in light of the facts concerning both God's character and the brevity of our lives on this earth. 
Now, I would challenge you. We will, how many verses are in Psalm 90? There's 17 verses. Now, they're saying it's structured as a chiasmus, as an inverted parallelism. Now, I'm assuming that means not every verse is doing it, but the first part of the psalm goes one way, and then the second part inverts it so that the psalm is structured. Now, where that change is, like there would be a lot here we would have to try to figure out. I would challenge you just to do a little reading on Psalm 90, see if you can find the inverted parallelism, you can find the chiasmus, and see then, is it trying to offer balance? Is it trying to offer contrast? Is it trying to offer uh, how we... A warning? What's it trying to do? Let's just read it and see what we can find here. All right? Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place and all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, ever from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou, re- thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men. So I think it starts off establishing God is that which is eternal. God is that which is everlasting. God is. Anything that's everlasting, anything that's eternal, it's only God. That seems to be the emphasis here. And then it says, thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of man. So is it trying to draw a contrast that God is eternal, but man can be led to destruction? All right, we'll see. Verse four, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. God is eternal. And basically time to God is completely radically different than to us. For a thousand years in the sight of an eternal God are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night because God is eternal. Time ceased to exist from God's perspective. Okay. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as sheep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, and in the evening it is cut down and withereth. All right, there's, there's some verses, there's some thoughts I have here, but okay. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Okay, God is eternal. Okay, he's a, he's, time means nothing to him, but guess what? They're being consumed. Uh, there's, there's, there's suffering and death and pain happening, especially if this is being written by Moses while they were wandering in the wilderness and people were dying every single day. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet it is their strength, uh, their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. We acknowledge the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The contrast seems to be here. The eternality of God. Time is nothing to God, but we, we are consumed. We are destroyed under God's judgment and wrath because we are sinners. And that we, and that we are not eternal. 
that we are years or three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be four score years. That it seems that, hey, there's a, a limited amount of time that we have. I don't think it's trying to give a specific amount of time. Um, this is how um, I'm looking to see if they cover this. They say this, Moses notes that normal life expectancy will be about 70 years and that an extended lifespan may reach 80. Our lives are full of toil and trouble. We soon fly away in death. How should we respond? Respond by numbering your days. If you're 25, then you have 16,200 days left to live. If you're 35, you have 12,775 days to live. If you're 45, you have 9,175 days to live. If you're 65, you have 1,925 days left to live. And if you're 70, you're in grace time. Now, I think he's just giving a kind of a normal life expectancy. I don't think it's trying to be anything definitive. It's more just kind of a general concept here. All right. But all right, it's trying to show that, hey, we have a limited amount of time. So we need to number our days that we may apply our hearts in wisdom. Then 13 through 17 read, return, O Lord, how long and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercies that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now, those are the 17 verses. Now, they said that it's structured It's arranged as an inverted parallelism. Now, the way they have it, this is interesting. Okay, so this is the way they kind of structure it. This is their argument, how it should be structured. You, you can look at this on your own. Okay, so as a chiasmus, as an inverted parallelism, they have, okay, A is the eternal God in our security, verses 1 through 2. B is our physical life under the curse, verses 3 through 6. C, God's wrath and our wise response, 7 through 12. Then back to B, right, an inverted parallelism, right, our spiritual life above the curse, now, originally B was our physical life under the curse. Now it's our spiritual life above the curse, verses 13 through 15. And then A was the eternal God in our security. Now A is inverted and it's the eternal God and our significance. All right, so let me give you that structure again. This is what they're claiming. All right. So verses one through two, this is A, the eternal God and our security. B is our physical life under the curse, verses three through six. C is God's wrath and our wise response, verses seven through 12. Then in 13, now B is repeated, it's inverted, and now B is our spiritual life 
above the curse. Remember, B originally was our physical life under the curse. Now this, in verses 13 through 15, it's inverted, and it's our spiritual life above the curse. The first B was our physical life under the curse. Now it's our spiritual life above the curse. And then A, repeated, inverted, the eternal God and our significance, where originally it was the eternal God and our security. And that's verses 16 through 17. That's how they are structuring this inverted parallelism, this chiasmus. Now, they don't, yeah, it's interesting. They, 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 they mention this as, hey, look, guys, this is inverted uh, parallelism. But they don't really set out, it seems, in the article to really show us how this is important. Now, if we look at the actual text, let me try this. So the first A is the beginning, verses 1 through 2, Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is eternal. We are not. God is eternal. Okay, that's that's the starting point. That is A, the eternal God and our security. Okay, he's our dwelling place in all generations. There's the security part. Okay, so the eternal God and our security. Now, the next A is verse 16 through 17, inverted parallelism. All right, here we go. Now, this is, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. Let the beauty of our Lord, our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Now they're saying, verses 16, 17, is the eternal God in our significance. I am not following how they're trying to structure this. Now, the only reason, what I'm trying to do here, what I'm trying to do here, what I'm trying to do here is this. Sometimes preachers, sometimes even in hermeneutics class, we come up with these great ideas or these great concepts. Ooh, it's a chiasmus. It's an inverted parallelism. Ooh, let's tell everyone when we preach our sermon that it's an inverted parallelism. And then when we give the outline, we'll structure the outline as an inverted parallelism or as a chiasmus so they can see. So we'll have ABC, then BA. ABC, then it's inverted, BA. All right, great. My issue, my concern is, of what value does that give you, the average reader, or even me, the average the preacher, even me with you know seminary education, what of what value does that have in my interpretation of it? Because if you want me to see kind of a, an inverted parallelism between A verses 1 through 2 and A verses 16 through 17, it's not jumping out at me immediately. So would it be better to outline it using the chiasmus structure, the inverted parallelism, or would it be better to outline it in a different way? So like if we were to just go through Psalm 90, what do we start off with? Well, we start off with obviously verses one through two explaining to us 
that God obviously is eternal. Now, thou has been our dwelling place. The people are, 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 are mentioned in verse one. Hey, God, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. You are eternal. But then in verse three, thou turnest man to destruction and say, return ye children of men. Now, what do you do with verse three? Verse one seems to be, I, I, you know, I do verse one and two. I do, I do almost believe you have to separate verse one, two from three, right? Verse one, verse, or maybe, I wonder, I wonder if we see this. Verses one through three, just, just, we're just working this out in real time. The central theme is the eternality of God, right? God is eternal, right? The eternality of God. I don't you. I think that's clearly you. you God has been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or, 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 or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Clearly, that's the main theme. No problem. Now, verse one is that the positive implications of God being eternal, and is verse three a negative implication of God being eternal? I'm going to read verse three from a different translation. I'm going to read verse three in a different translation. See, I don't know if trying to focus on the invert the, the the parallelism and the chia, and the chiasmus help is helpful here. Psalm ninety. Psalm ninety. Let's look at this. Psalm ninety. Let's go to right verse one. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Okay. No problem. And then verse three. Now, see, my this Bible wants to take verse three and separate it from verse one and two, right? Just want to separate it completely. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. All right. So, that, so how should we structure this? See, my Bible, this Bible puts three with verse one and two. That Bible separates three from verse one and two. Now, remember, the original would not have broken this down. The translators, obviously, some believe three belongs with verses four and following. Others believe three belongs to one through two. Now, to me, if we go with verse two being the main, the key to those three verses, God is eternal. What's the positives of that? Well, the positive is that God can be our dwelling place in all generations because he's never going to go away. He is eternal. He will always be there. That can be your dwelling place. Your parent may not always be there. Your spouse may not always be there. Your children may not be. Uh, whatever you can find, anything you can find security in in this world is not eternal. It can go away. God is your dwelling place. That's the positive from God being eternal. But verse three sounds like God is eternal, but we, we turn, you turn man to destruction and say, return ye children of men. God, you are eternal, but you return us back to dust. We are not. So is it a, 
see it this way. Do we have God being eternal and we have the positive implications and then the contrast from it? Now, what happens in verse four? To me, verse four now tells us how God relates to time because he's eternal. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. God, God relates to time differently because he's eternal. Now, verse, um, that's verse four. Now, verse five, you in their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows, but evening it withers and dries up. You see why some people want to put three um, you want to put three with the following verses, right? Because now it's like, because God is eternal, there's a contrast. There's a contrast between God and us, right? Between the eternality of God and man's dying, right? Um, there's a contrast between God and time. There's a contrast between God and the brevity of our lives, because he said, because in this translation, look at verse five, you end their lives, speaking of people, you end their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning and the morning it sprouts and grows, but by evening it withers and dries up. So we have the fact of God's eternality, maybe in verse one and two, but we still have us connected to it. How to break this down becomes very difficult and how to outline this, right? That it makes sense. I don't know if the inverted parallelism or the chiasmus make helps us much here. Does it does it change your interpretation of it? Because they say the the psalm is structured that way, but I'm just not seeing it. Lord, you've been our refuge in every generation. Right? That's good to know. God has been our refuge in every generation. How is that humanly possible? Because before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God, using that translation. Because God is eternal. Now, the next verse is, thou turnest man to destruction and say, return ye to the children of man. You're eternal, but you tell us to go back to death. Now, that's because of sin and because of the fall. And, and for your... For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night. In contrast, because God is eternal, his relationship to time is radically different. He sees it. And then back to people, uh, back to people, thou carriest them away. Back to people, as with a flood, there is as, as a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which groweth up. Uh, in the morning, it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening, it is cut down and and. Uh, and wherewith, for we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath, we are troubled. It's showing a contrast between God. You could say it's a contrast between God and dwelling places. God is the only eternal uh, dwelling place. Between God and those of us who have to return to death. Death is a guarantee. We will return to death. It's a contrast between God and time. It's a contrast between the eternality of God and the shortness of man's life. We're like grass there and then we are gone. We are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath, we are troubled. We can't escape God's wrath because he's eternal. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. 
I think it's a contrast between God and our sin, God and our, our, our guilt. We can't escape it because, well, God is eternal. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet it is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. We know the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We have to see, how do we, what do we need to do here and apply our hearts to wisdom? To understand God and how he stands in contrast to everything. How we even understand our sin and, and contrast or in light of God's eternality, that we're never going to escape God. And then verses 13 through 17, return, O Lord, how long and let it repent thee concerning thy servant. All right now, verse 13 in this translation, Lord, how long turn and have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and be uh, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto the children. Let us let and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands uh, upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Basically, it's God is eternal. And in light of that eternality, here is some, some contrast and truths and reality, right? God is our only dwelling place. Hey, God's going to have us return to, to the dirt. We're going to die because of our sin. God's relationship to time is radically different to us. And God is angry with us because of our sin and we cannot escape it. So we need to count and number our days. And then we need God's, our only hope is the mercy from this eternal God. That seems to be more of the structure. It is so cool to go, ooh, look, this is structured in a inverted parallelism. Oh, it's a chi- it's a chiasmus. Ooh, that's so cool. And and then we can tell everyone and then your pastor could preach and go, "Look everyone, it's A B C B A. A is verses 1 through 2. B is verses 3 through 6. C is verses 7 through 12. Now, B is 13 through 15 and then A is 16 through 17. See everyone, it's inverted parallelism. It's a chiasmus and everybody in church writes it down going, "Ooh, my pastor is so smart. Look at that." Does that does that change how you interpret it? Now I think sometimes the structure of a chapter is of of great it's fascinating and can be absolutely essential to one's interpretation. Do you believe in this case? It's important. What I think is interesting this article and again you should order the magazine for yourself it's free. It's the faith, it's a grace and focus, the July, August, 2023 issue. It's the very first article. I, my challenge to you is now, you know what inverted parallelism is. You know what a chiasmus is. I've tried to explain it to you. Does that impact how you interpret Psalm 90 in any way, shape or form? Does it help you in any way, shape or form? They break it down A, B, C, and then B, A. If I look here, I'm just going to look here. Um, let me see here. 
going to do a, 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 a this this is a, from an article from biblicalresources.org. Um, it says an interpretive study on Psalm 90, historical background, form of the psalm. Okay. Um, it says that the poem is typical Hebrew parallelism. All right. The outline of the psalm. Okay. Uh, the use of parallelism. Okay, it says, uh, the rhythm of thought in this Hebrew poem is manifest in parallelism of ideas throughout the text. Synthetic parallelism, that which develops or enriches a thought, occurs most frequently, verses 3 through 4, 9 through 10, 12 through 17. Verse 14 illustrates this type of parallelism. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with thy loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad in all our days. The second verse is a climatic climatic synthetic uses a uh, tiered structure a t- tiered structure is used the verse builds synthetic that adds new information in the final line climatic or climatic i should say all right and em- emblematic parallelism is used i guess is used in this verse in verse 5 um okay chiastic or inverted parallelism counterposes all all alternate words or phrases in consecutive lines, as in verse 8 and 11. Then it has rhythmic parallelism. All right, it goes goes through all of that, but it doesn't in any way tell me how that helps me structure it in any way, shape, or form. See, that all sounds good, and I could could go through in my preaching and go, hey, there's this kind of parallelism and this kind. And even that then seems to say there's far more than just inverted parallelism here. There's far more going on than just a a chiasmus or a a chiasmus structure that more is going on here. But I don't know how that would uh, come in any benefit in helping you understand the psalm. What I'm trying to do here is this, and I'm doing it in real time is try to take something that points out this you know, very academic-sounding, very intelligent-sounding concept that I'm not saying is not true, but of what value does it add to the text? Does it help you understand it any better? Now, you could say, well, if it was structured that way, it's good to note it. I'm not saying it's not good to note it. I'm just saying... That if you're going to note it, you got to follow that and and then demonstrate how it helps you understand the psalm. I would like I would, you work on Psalm 90. See if you can see the inverted parallelism, uh, the chiasma. See if you can see it. And if it does, tell me why you think it matters. But most importantly, look at Psalm 90 and ask yourself, what should we take away from it? And what we should take away from it is God is eternal, and we definitely are not. And because God is eternal, one, he's the best dwelling place. Two, we can't escape God's God's wrath. So all we can hope for is his mercy. Because if if he is eternal and we can't escape his wrath, guess how good news it is if God gives us mercy? Because then we can never outrun his mercy because he is eternal. A little work, an impromptu work. On Psalm 90. A little bit confusing. 
but we'll see. And what's just crazy is they start that out and they never once. I'm, 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 hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm going to skim this. Not once. Not one time. Not one time do they mention it again. Not one time do they 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 follow their their chiasmus, their in, in, inverted parallelism kind of quote unquote structure and their outline, but they never mention the structure again and say, "See, look right here, he inverted that idea. See why that's important to under." They never mention it, and I and I just did speed reading of it, so I could have missed it, which is kind of frustrating. Because that seems to just be more distracting. Like, forget the inverted parallelism. Break the chapter down in a way that people can remember it and understand it. Unless you think that inverted parallelism, the entire interpretation hinges upon it. All right, well, that was a fun 56 minutes. I don't know if it was fun for you. It's fun for it's it, it, it's somewhat fun for me trying to figure it out. It's not fun necessarily having a live microphone in your face trying to do it in real time. But I thought it was a good idea. No, actually, I thought it was probably a bad idea to try that. But I wanted to at least try to work through that because some people asked about it. And if you ask me from my in real time look, right? I don't know what I don't know the significance of the chiasm, chiasmus or the inverted parallelism as far as making me understand that chapter anymore. All right. Uh, okay. Well, someone said thank thank you for uh, breaking it down. That probably because I'm going to give them a hundred dollars for saying that. So uh, because nobody listening to that is going to think that was good, but it was fun. It was fun, but wow, I'm just, I'm just baffled by a lot of the websites go in all into the, it's got this kind of parallelism and this kind of parallelism and this kind of parallelism and like, okay, great, wonderful. And, (laughs) and that does what for me, the reader, what other than looking smart, Hey guys, look, and everybody leaves church, man. We looked at Psalm 90 and my pastor, let me know what a chiasmus is. And I know inverted parallelism and, and okay. And do you understand Psalm 90? Well, what do you take away from it? Now, I think we take away the fact that God is eternal and we are not. That's a reality we all know. I think sometimes remembering that reality is of great benefit. Sometimes I think remembering that is a negative. Sometimes I think forgetting that reality is a positive. And sometimes I think it's a negative. How do you deal with that reality? Let Psalm 90 really just bring forth the reality. God is eternal and you are going to die. And then you can bring in the contrast between God's wrath and God's mercy. And I think maybe that, maybe, maybe that's the part that we're overlooking. Are there, are there two contrasts in Psalm 90? God's eternality, right? And us not being eternal, right? God being immortal, we're mortal. God eternal, we're, we are not, we are going to pass away. And the contrast between God's wrath and God's mercy, are there, are there really, if you break it down, 
or you could say, you know, two groups of, of, of contrast, eternality and not eternal, right? And then wrath and mercy. Maybe you should look at Psalm 90 that way. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. Spend some time in Psalm 90. And if you want to email me about it, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. A little literally impromptu on the spot, trying to break down Psalm 90, trying to look at why everyone wants us to see the inverted parallelism and the chiasmus. And I believe maybe what we should see is an eternal God, man, human beings who are not eternal, God's wrath and God's mercy. You, I've handed it to you now. It's yours to benefit from. And I don't know if you can hear it. It sounds like a war zone outside. There's about a million fireworks being shot off behind me. Literally sounds like I'm in a war zone. All right, I'm going to stop talking. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. God bless.